Good morning and welcome. We're here this morning to hear argument in the case of in the matter of the adoption of SL, PL appellant, and MH and AH appellees. It's an adoption case, and that's why we're referring to the cases by initials. It's a civil transfer case. Transfer has not been granted. Counsel for the appellees, MH and AH, will be arguing first. And at counsel today representing the appellees, we have Seema Shah. Good morning and welcome to Shaw and Brian Babs. Good morning, Mr. Babb. Um, representing the um, PL, we have Paul Sadler. Good morning and welcome, Mr. Sadler. Counsel, as we've been um, doing oral arguments, we generally allow about two minutes in the beginning before we may start asking questions. Counsel, you ready to proceed? Ms. Shaw. May it please the court, I'd like to reserve five minutes for rebuttal. This court should grant transfer in this case and provide guidance on important legal issues that are sure to come up in future adoption cases. First, can a trial court ever validly issue a temporary custody order under Indiana Code Section 3119 uh, 213 if the separate adoption petition is not served on a biological father, no matter the facts. That is, is that temporary custody order always void for lack of personal jurisdiction and or unconstitutional? Additionally, can an individual bypass the relief mechanism provided in the temporary custody statute and use Trial Rule 60B instead. I'd like to begin by pointing out the fact that the blanket rule um, in the Court of Appeals decision below, which is that temporary custody orders issued without notice of the separate adoption petition being provided are always void for lack of personal jurisdiction. This is problematic because it does not take into account the diverse sets of circumstances um, that are present in adoption cases. So for example, uh, the adoption statutes allow for notice by publication. Um, an adoption petition might be filed, but then notice of publication takes up to three weeks. If a temporary custody order is issued within that three-week time frame, is it always void for lack of personal jurisdiction because the adoption petition has not yet been served on a biological parent? Similarly, what if there is an emergency? A temp an adoption petition has been filed, not yet served for some reason, but an emergency presents itself and a child is, for example, in imminent harm. Can a trial court not use its discretion and issue a temporary custody order before that adoption petition is served? Will it be always able to be successfully challenged for lack of personal jurisdiction? Michelle, you make really good points. And having practiced in this area and then been a judicial officer in this area, there are lots of times that maybe a biological father or mother cannot be found 
and that somebody has to take care of this child, and that's the purpose of this temporary. But would you agree that it's important that that temporary custody order requirement under Section 13 be in proper form? Yes. I, and, I'm, and that's what I'm struggling with in this case. There's three things. It's got to be a separate petition was filed. It's, it's ex parte. It was obviously ex parte. It has to be verified. There's no verification on this form. Um, it, what the form didn't reference Section 13. It says temporary custody, and I think the judge talked about Section 13 in the order, having gone through the or in the court, having gone through the order. So, if you didn't, if the attorney did not file the form in proper order, because you acknowledge it's not verified, correct? The adoption petition the, was verified. No, the temporary custody petition must be separate, ex parte, and verified. There is no verification on that complaint. And a verification is I attest under the penalty. So the attorney signed off on. But your argument would be that that would be another voidable, not void, error. So correct. It would be voidable, not void, perhaps. Um, and I think that brings up a good point in that trial rule 60 B, whether for voidable or void, should never have been used. Um, what needed to be used was the relief mechanism provided in the substantive statute, which is the temporary custody statute, which trumps any procedural rule, such as trial rule 60B. Right. You can immediately go in and get custody. You can, immediately the court has to have a hearing on it, and you can correct that mistake. And what about the harmonious um, reading canon? We've got You've got to file and get um, notice. He has absolute right to notice in the in the adoption petition. Temporary um, temporary custody petitions in the same. One, and they're asking us to sort of read those rules, statutes harmoniously, saying you you can't get away with not giving notice. You know that you know this dad was out there. His parents were involved in the case. Why don't we read those, the adoption petition and the custody petition harmoniously and their requirements and require that notice? The temporary custody statute, by its plain language, contemplates an ex parte motion and order. And so it contemplates that notice may not be given to father. That is how to read it harmoniously. Those are the plain terms of the statute. And now it's, it's important to note that in this case, we have the July 8th, 2020 temporary custody order that grants temporary custody to adoptive parents and provides for monthly visitation to grandparents. Just 20 days later, the trial court issues an order explaining that during this visitation, biological father is present and that this arrangement is actually harmful to the mental health of the child. So just 20 days later, father had to have known that something had happened. Whether or not he knew that a temporary custody order was out there, he knew that child was not living with grandparents, the co-guardians. So how does actual notice um, cure any defect in legal notice? I think actual notice here is important because father waits a whole year instead of availing himself of the mechanism within Section 13 and then files a trial rule 60B motion. And part of the argument is that adoptive parents have had child for so long and, 
and you know this bond is being created and and you know I, I didn't have notice of, of of this adoption petition and the temporary custody order but that that's those are not the facts of this case um, and, I, and I think that's really critical because what is being asked now is voiding a temporary custody order and uprooting this child when something could have been done much earlier we could have had a full appellate record we would have had another hearing with father present with all his concerns laid out before the trial court uh, but we don't have that so the father so really the the, the remedy in this is going to be the same either way. It's got to go back to the trial court for a hearing with regard to the, fa the father seeking to intervene in the adopt or not seeking, seeking to get custody. If Regardless, this case isn't done based on what this court decides. Correct. I mean, of course, the adoption petition is still pending. So there is, of course, going to be an and adoption And the father can proceeding. still avail himself on the Section 13E through G, where he can go in and ask for and he get, has a right to a hearing because his petition below was only saying that it was void. He didn't make, he didn't request what he could request under Section 13, which could be placement of the child. Correct. Um, Ms. Scheid, I'd like to direct your attention to a, a, a different jurisdictional question, and that is the propriety of our jurisdiction, of appellate jurisdiction. Uh, your predecessor counsel argued successfully for a while that appellate jurisdiction was lacking. Um, that was eventually revisited on rehearing, and the, the Court of Appeals motions panel allowed this case to proceed. You've not argued lack of appellate jurisdiction, and I'm, I guess I'm curious to learn, why do you believe your appellate counsel, your predecessor counsel, rather, was, was wrong? So the trial court issued an order denying a Rule 60B motion. Um, I don't think that Rule 60B motion was properly before the trial court. However, it, it was denied. Um, and by operation of Rule 60C, we have... But, but do you think that's good enough? I mean, if a motion for discovery sanctions, for example, is granted or denied, if somebody at, at that point files a, a motion for relief from that discovery sanction, calls it a judgment, and that request for post-judgment relief is denied, 60C says, okay, you get an automatic... That can't be the right result, can it? No, and, and I think it, the issue has been preserved below that, that uh, excuse me, father had to pursue uh, Section 13 remedy um, over trial rule 60B, and that if that had been, if he had pursued that, that had been denied, then per perhaps an interlocutory appeal or a Rule 60B motion would have been appropriate eventually. Sure, but, but that's not what happened. Right. So, I, my, so my, I guess my question persists. Well, how, how is our jurisdiction secure? And I guess the question is, if we agree with your predecessor counsel that there's no appellate jurisdiction, it seems to me we have one of two options here. We either deny transfer and just let the Court of Appeals decision stand, or we grant transfer and dismiss for one of appellate jurisdiction. Do you have a preference if, if those are the two options, which way we proceed? Uh, I think the second is most appropriate. And with the clarification that if the temporary clarification that the temporary custody order stands. Um, because I think there is some confusion as to what, if the Court of Appeals decision were to stand, what happens, right? If the temporary custody order is void, what happens? The, the disposition in the opinion is simply reversed. Um, and, and we want to make sure that this child at 10 years old, um, with the only 
caregivers that he has maintained for his whole life a meaningful and constant contact with is not uprooted once again. But if we, if we dismiss for lack of appellate jurisdiction, doesn't that preserve the status quo in the, in the trial court? Yes, but... So you'd be satisfied with that outcome? We would be satisfied with that outcome, yes, because the trial court, in its discretion, validly issued this temporary custody order. The child stays where he is um, until, for example, the trial court has occasion to uh, review the temporary custody order should father avail himself of the relief mechanism in Section 13 um, and until the adoption proceedings are complete. Shaw, can you talk a little bit about why you would prefer the other uh, course? Uh, you know, I also did this uh, in, a, in a former life, and um, I don't recall this coming up in a case that was before me or a case that I tried, but I think it's a really important uh, vehicle for a court to, to have at its disposal if you have a situation where you need to make provisions for the the safety and welfare of a child. You don't know where the biological parent is. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, why, if you do think it's important for us to clarify that, that it's important to the bench and bar. So the decision below um, imposes this blanket rule that I think takes away discretion from the court that is most intimately aware of all of the parties involved, including the child. Um, the statute exists to ensure the stability of the child during adoption proceedings. And notice of the separate adoption petition should not be determinative of whether a trial court can follow the plain terms of this statute. There's a presumption that the statute is constitutional, um, that the legislature had good reason to pass it, and that a trial court can follow its plain terms. Um, while we understand that the decision below is unpublished, uh, it is the only guidance on this statute that is out there. So for all practical purpose, purposes, we believe that a trial court will feel constrained, or trial courts will feel constrained, um, if the Court of Appeals decision were to stand. Counsel, I was struggling with just one, one aspect of, of your side of the case in terms of whether we should take the case. Um, in the trial court, uh, counsel on your side a couple times said, effectively what counsel is asking the court to do is to go back to the very beginning of the filing and start over. If that would protect the record, I have no problem with it. And counsel said that a couple of times, and it seemed to me that in the trial court, the counsel was saying, if the remedy was what the Court of Appeals ultimately said, we're just going to have another hearing and we'll probably reach the same outcome, that that, that would be fine. So am I misunderstanding the comments in the trial court, or is there some other reason that it would no longer be fine, even if it used to be? Are you asking about the disposition of the Court of Appeals? I, I apologize. Yes, exactly. The, the Court of Appeals has essentially sent it back. That there'll be another hearing. Uh, your predecessor counsel seemed to think the outcome of the hearing would be the same, so it would be a hassle. Right. But, but that in the end, nothing would actually change. So if all we're doing is making sure protected rights um, are honored, there's no problem with that. And I believe that uh, co-guardians at that hearing um, had argued that child should be returned to them if the temporary custody order was void. So I think there might be some confusion as to actually what the disposition 
of the Court of Appeals decision is. Our opinion, yes, is that if this court does not affirm the temporary custody order, then the alternative is a Section 13 hearing and not to just uproot the child and return him to co-guardians. Last question. Do you know why the case was stayed pending appeal? Am I understanding right that if it had proceeded through the adoption proceedings, that would have ultimately mooted the temporary custody order? I am not certain why. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Shaw. Mr. Sadler. If it pleases the court, this court should deny transfer where the Court of Appeals analysis and ruling were correct. There is no undecided question of law in this case. The Court of Appeals did not depart from accepted law, and the Court of Appeals did not find any statute unconstitutional. The controlling law in this matter is not IC 31-19-213. It is Troxel v. Granville, Henry the Guardianship of LL, Hare v. Deutsche Bank, and Henry Anonymous. The crux of the petitioner's argument as to why this court should accept transfer is that they allege that the Court of Appeals decision implicitly indicates that Section 13 is unconstitutional. That simply is not accurate. The question before the Court of Appeals did not rest upon Section 13, and the court did not reach the issue of the constitutionality of Section 13. The question before the Court of Appeals is whether the trial court could grant custody of a child to a third party pursuant to the de facto custodian statutes and without notice to the legal and biological parents. Neither the motion for custody nor the custody order comported with requirements of Section 13. The Court of Appeals set aside the order based on lack of personal jurisdiction. The facts in this case are very important. This child is a child of a marriage. When the child was an infant, mother and father consented to paternal grandparents obtaining a guardianship over the child. During the existence of the guardianship, father divorced mother. In the decree of dissolution, father was awarded sole legal and physical custody upon the termination of the guardianship. Subsequent to those orders, the petitioners filed a petition for adoption and a motion for custody. Petitioners chose not to serve father. Petitioners have not alleged that they could not have served father or that they made any attempts to serve father, nor have they alleged at any point there was any emergency that existed that required an order of custody. Section 13 doesn't require any of those things. Section 13 requires that it be separate. Ex parte in and of itself has a meaning, and it will be verified. The cases that you cite are really important principles, talking about parental rights, and those were all final adoption cases, which, hands down, you cannot do an adoption without getting notice to the parents. The parents have tremendous rights with regard to getting notice. But this is a statute to deal with this period of time, this interim period of time. It may be at the hospital, a baby's born, and who's going to have care and custody of this child? Who's going to pay? Who is legally responsible for this child while you seek out the notice? And the Indian legislature seems to have said, you can do this, and all you have to do is dad, mom, get in there, file under E through G, and game over. Court has to set a hearing. 
and you have every right to be heard and ask for custody of the child. So you, you have a pretty quick remedy under the statute, but you chose not to go that route below, correct? The, below you went void as opposed to, I want to have a hearing, I want this child back in my care. Your Honor, there was no mention of Section 13 prior to the order on 60B. None. Not in any of the arguments. The court did. I, I mean, in looking through the court's order in this case, they refer, referenced, there was reference to the temporary custody. Temp, this is temp, this, it was a temporary custody statute. There's a request for temporary custody, albeit I'm not quite sure the manner that the um, counsel for the adoptive parents put the form of what they did, whether it was in proper form or not. But the fact it wasn't verified hasn't been raised, but it wasn't verified. It wasn't verified, Your Honor. It wasn't. It, it, the statute also requires that both petitioners sign. Neither petitioner signed. The Those arguments were never made with regard to the vil, vil, validity of the statute, the lack of the verification. So there was a request. It was a separate petition. It was asking for ex parte custody. The court acknowledged it. The court, in their order, in, in the dialogue in court, talked about Section 13. It, which makes, I believe, doesn't make it void. I don't believe it did mention Section 13, Your Honor. In fact, the, the petitioner's counsel during the, uh, the, during the custody hearing repeatedly argued that they were, under, they were there under the de facto custodian statutes. In fact, at one point, he objected to grandparents' um, counsel's uh, question. He said, objection, relevance. We're here for a hearing on custody and de facto custody. That can be relevant in an adoption proceeding, but in a hearing for immediate custody under the de facto custody statute, 3192 35.5, what their intention was a year ago, I don't see how that is relevant today. That's it, the transcript, volume two, page 26, lines 10 to 17. In, a, in addition, Your Honor, I. I don't believe that the Court of Appeals' decision is as blanket as the petitioners would like you to have you, you assume it is. The Court of Appeals based its decision on what was in front of it. What was in front of it was where an order is clearly giving de facto custody to a third party without notice to parents and with no allegations of an emergency, was that void for lack of personal jurisdiction? What do you think is the, uh, good morning, Mr. Sadler. What do you think, though, is the outcome if we were to take that position, goes back to the trial court? Uh, does your client have a, a, a realistic claim for relief in the temporary custody order? My understanding of the facts is he just had custody for maybe 12 days of the child's life, uh, and, and the order has been in place, defective or not, for some period of time. So what, as a practical matter, is, is the result if this goes back? While this period of time is, is, is still, you know, the, the court's struggling with while the, uh, while the adoption is pending. Well, Your Honor, there, there are a number of, of things to unpack there. First of all, father has been in a part of this child's life until this custody order cut off his relationship with the child. He didn't how just so? have, how, he, he how lived so? with the grandparents and the child for a period of time after the grandparents obtained custody of the child. He was living with the grandparents at the time that the parent, grandparents obtained custody of the child. This is not a father who's not been involved in this child's life. When was that in relation to the, uh, the hearing uh, when the when, when client uh, took issue with the temporary order? 
my client wasn't present at the his, the, the hearing at the the temporary on, on, for the temporary order. The custody how much, order. How much time had passed, though? I mean, that, that's that's the issue that I'm struggling with. This goes back. Uh, is, is your client going to be seeking a temporary custody? He's not going to be seeking temporary custody. He's going to be seeking permanent custody. He is the legal and biological father, and there's a presumption that he that he should have custody of this child. Well, why doesn't he still have that? the right to fight for that. I mean, we're arguing about the propriety of a temporary order here, aren't we? Well, Your Honor, to begin with, Brokaw v. Mercer makes it very clear that before you can deny a parent their constitutional rights, you have to give them pre-deprivation notice. And, um, and Troxel v. Granville makes well, Where's clear the denial of a constitutional right in a temporary order? Trust v. Granville makes very clear that parents have a constitutional right to make decisions about the care, custody, and control of their children. Not just the presumption to have the care, custody, and control of their children. Just doesn't the remedy cut against that? There's a remedy. So it's not the, the temporary custody statute looking at the constitutionality, but there's a remedy. You go in there, the court has to have a hearing. So you have a right for your care, interests, concerns to be done under subsections E through G. Yes, Your Honor, and, and federal courts have made clear that just because a wrong can be undone does not mean that the wrong is permissible. So if your this, position is that the temporary custody statute is unconstitutional as it's written? It, it is in this instance, Your Honor. On these facts, it is unconstitutional if you uphold this order. So was the father aware of the adoption proceedings the entire time? No, because nobody served him any notice of it. So you said he was intimately involved in his child's life throughout this period of time, but he was not aware that there were, were adoption proceedings. He didn't learn from his, his own parents, for example? No, Nobody I don't, told he, him? he eventually learned from his own parents. I don't know exactly when he uh, learned from his own parents. Sometime before the temporary custody order and no. after? He was never told about these proceedings. And let's be clear here. There's no argument that the petitioners didn't know where father was. In fact, there's a, plenty of reason in the, um, in the record to believe that they knew exactly where father was and how to contact. Would your position, we, have, we, we use ex parte in other statutes, such as an ex parte order and a protective order. So if there's a protective order that would cut off contact between a biological parent and his child, given um, what was in the form, that would also be unconstitutional? You could never, if it, it did anything to jeopardize a parental rights to a child, any type of ex parte would statute be unconstitutional. No, that's not what I've argued, Your Honor. There, in, in emergency situations, as you've described, there are remedies that can be um, that can be done pre-deprivation. But once again, the federal courts have made very clear that there has to be a very real, immediate risk of harm to the child, to the child's life. And that even in those instances where there is pre-deprivation um, pre uh, infringement, deprivation of their rights, that they have to, um, that the court has to set a quick hearing in order to resolve this. This also goes to um, the case of Brown v. Brown. 
In Brown v. Brown, there was an ex parte order um, on custody that granted custody from uh, one parent to another without notice to the, to the parent who was losing custody. There wasn't a hearing for two months. The court ruled that the father's constitutional due process rights were violated because mother had two months in order to influence the child. But These I, people I saw, have had I, three you years. Me, you haven't given me an answer that I can, uh, that, that I can follow with. Why can't father utilize the procedural mechanism? He's got a way. So if he, this is all going on, the child's living with them. I don't know how, you know, the father doesn't know, doesn't know his, his parents are visiting, but he doesn't. You find out about it, you can get in there. You, you've got a procedural mechanism. Why did he not file and use that procedural mechanism? Two reasons, Your Honor. It was never mentioned in the custody order or argued by anybody until the trial rule 60B. In addition, as the trial, as the, the de facto custodian order was void, it should have been voided by the trial court. Father filed a, a motion, a petition for, for uh, parenting time the same time he filed his 60B. It's never been set for hearing. Father has constitutionally protected rights in this matter, and he's been denied them. And at some point, somebody's going to have to answer to why father didn't get any due process under the United States Constitution. Sending it back now on a hearing for uh, temporary custody when father has been denied any contact with the child since shortly after this uh, order was issued once again without any due process of law simply does not resolve the matter as brown v brown held two months of somebody having the influence of the child can undermine a parent's due process. Right? Counsel, who has the children now? The petitioners do. So, so why has the case stayed? Why, isn't, why hasn't father been litigating these issues in the trial court? Because it's up on appeal. And, and once it, but, the but it's only stayed on because appeal. of agreement. The, the appeal doesn't stay the case. Either when a, a case from the trial court is up on appeal, that the trial court loses jurisdiction. So what, what I can't get my, my head around, Your, your Honors, is, is what this court seems to be arguing, what the petitioners have argued, is a blanket rule that anybody can file a petition uh, for temporary custody so long as they also file a petition for adoption. I argued this in my briefs. If this court holds that, <clears throat> The situation is, is that anybody can select any child without serving parents who may actually have custody of the child, obtain a order of temporary custody, take that order and go take the child out of school, out of daycare. Parents still have there's still a, There's still a requirement of best interest. There are some findings the court has to make, even on an ex parte order. Yes, Your Honor, but if the... If the court is making those findings based on a record completely created by the petitioners, how, how is the court to know what's actually being told to the court? What they are suggesting is that somebody should be able to obtain custody of a child with no notice to the biological parents and legal parents, and then it is upon the, the parents 
to not only locate the case, which they have no notice of, but to file a, a motion to set it aside when it never should have been ordered in the first place. So, so what and is then the, wait for the, a the, hearing. The legislative concern with regard to when a child is, um, when there's adoption of a child pending, who is going to care for this child in the circumstances? So, so the statute's okay if the parent can't be located. It's not avoidable order. It's just, there are, this is used throughout Indiana. Maybe the mother signs a consent at the hospital. We don't know where bio dad is. Um, but the plain, the, plain, you've, the plain reading of the statute with regard to the need for an ex parte, and again, this is unusual circumstances. It's parents and grand, or adoptive parents and grandparents that have been intimately involved with this child. You would agree with that's what the record shows. And, and had the court insisted on notice to father, to mother as well, prior to issuing this order, the only delay, the only situation that would have occurred is that the child would have remained with the court-appointed co-guardians pending a hearing on it. Why did this occur? This is not a situation that where there is, there, there needs to be an, an a, a order on who has custody of the child. There was an order. The co-guardians. There's never been alleged that there was any harm there. Petitioners could have served. Mr. Assume for argument's sake that you're right about the, the constitutional question. Um, even if you're right on the merits of the underlying claim, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have appellate jurisdiction now to resolve an issue that's still interlocutory before the <laughs> trial court. So help us with the, the, the other piece of that. Why is jurisdiction here appropriate well, I, at this time? I believe that Trial Rule 60B clearly contemplates that an order that is void can be attacked by Trial Rule 60B. Trial Rule 60C says that that order can be appealed. And thus, I think that the clearly under the trial rules, um, that uh, but the, 60C, the 60C vehicle presupposes that the 60B request for relief was, was appropriate, and, yes, and, and which, which itself begs the question whether or not there was actually a judgment that was entered by the trial court as opposed to some interlocutory ruling that's subject to being revisited at the conclusion of the case. Well, I'm sorry, Your Honor, I disagree with that. I don't believe that the United States Supreme Court would agree that in an indefinite order of third-party custody to a uh, legal stranger to the child without any, without any allegations of an emergency, without any allegations of harm, and with absolutely no notice to the biological and legal parents of the child, when, that could, when notice could have been given, is anything but a final appealable order. The Supreme Court of the United States certainly has um, authority to tell us what's unconstitutional under the federal constitution. It doesn't have the authority to tell us what's a, a final order that's a subject to appeal under our rules to, uh, to our court from a trial court disposition. I guess the question becomes, what is it about that ruling in the trial court that made it final for purposes of our rules? For one thing, Your Honor, it does not say that it, it once again, the order does not comport with trial rule or with section 13. It, section 13 contemplates an order of temporary custody pending the final adoption hearing. That's not what this order says. If, if we disagree with you on the finality of what the trial court did, if we conclude rightly or wrongly that it was temporary, not final, does that change your answer to the propriety of appellate jurisdiction? 
I don't, Your Honor. I don't believe that a um, that a, a an order that um, gives custody to a third party where there is not an immediate attempt to set it for hearing, nor an, a requirement that that the um, that the biological parents be notified as soon as possible. There what, are, I, what I hear there you are, saying is that any, what I hear you saying is that any interlocutory ruling by a trial court um, that's not final subject to being revisited before the end of the case, if it's unconstitutional in some respect, it, that, that necessarily means there's automatic appellate jurisdiction right then and there. I, I just don't know any authority for that from our court or any other court. The federal courts don't say that. Well, Your Honor, I, I, I just don't believe in this instance that that is what's being described. The trial court issued an order of de facto custodian uh, under the de facto custodian statutes uh, pending further order of the court, and then it made no attempt to set the matter for a hearing afterwards to address the, the Constitution. I mean, pending, pending further order of the court, I mean, that, that's a pretty unambiguous uh, description of an interlocutory order, isn't it? Pending further order of the court? I, I, don't, I don't believe it is, Your Honor. This is a third-party custody order. By their very nature, third-party custody orders are to some extent always temporary. The, parent, the parents can always move to terminate. Thank you, Mr. Sadler. Michelle Rebuttal. I'd like to first address um, the constitutional issues that opposing counsel has brought up. Father had no decision-making power over the child at the time the temporary custody order was issued. There was an unlimited guardianship prior to the custody order that gave co-guardians all the rights of a parent. Father had no right to care, custody, and control of his child before the temporary custody order was issued in that the temporary custody order would burden that right. The same was true afterwards. Father possessed no decision-making power. So, you know, obviously while that right um, will be implicated during the adoption proceedings, um, it wasn't implicated with the temporary custody order. Um, the United Supreme Court has stated in Lair versus Robertson that, and that was a termination case, that if, father has, if a biological father has not cultivated um, a meaningful relationship with the child, the federal constitution will not automatically compel a state to listen to his opinion of where the child's best interests lie. The trial court here was very aware of father's relationship or lack thereof with the child. Um, it presided over the guardianship matter. It knew that father in 2015 moved away from the child. Um, at the temporary custody hearing before it issued the order, um, Exhibit C showed the limited visitation that father had exercised in 2017 and 2018 with child. It's also important to note that in May of 2019, co-guardians had an informal arrangement where child was living with adoptive parents full-time. And then co-guardians file, a, over a year later, once the adoption petition is filed, co-guardians filed an emergency motion for return of child, up, 
the trial court is unaware of the informal arrangement and returns the child to co-guardians and later said if it had been aware of the child's circumstances, it wouldn't have uprooted him from the home he had known um, for over a year and, and from the only constant and meaningful caregivers that he has had for his entire life, save the first few days. So I think this constitutional argument is, is unfounded because of the unlimited guardianship. Um, we're not asking for a blanket rule. What the Court of Appeals decision is, is it gives a blanket rule without considering the facts of a particular case. Here, the facts are father had no custodial rights before the temporary custody order and ho had no custodial rights after. If he had had some custodial rights, perhaps the analysis is different. But the Court of Appeals decision does not take into account that there are diverse sets of circumstances. It's just simply if a trial court follows the plain language of this temporary custody statute and the adoption petition has not yet been served on a biological father, it's void for lack of personal jurisdiction, full stop. That's it. And that rule can't, can't stand. It just doesn't, it takes trial court discretion away when that is the one court that is intimately aware of the party situation. And now I know there's been a lot of talk about the trial court's reference uh, to the de facto custodian statute. What's important is that the Court of Appeals decision below talks about the temporary custody statute. Those three judges you know, believe that that is the authority that the trial court um, was, was acting under, and, and that decision is still there no matter what. Um, and so we ask that this court grant transfer and affirm the trial court because it had authority to do what it did under the temporary custody statute. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Counsel, we appreciate your argument. The first issue we will be discussing or deciding is whether to grant transfer in this case, and that concludes the oral argument. Thank you. All right.